Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Great guests lined up for you on this edition. Peter O'Reilly, the Executive Vice President of Club Business and League Events for the NFL. He runs the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl, and he just put on one of the most incredible NFL drafts we have ever seen. 55 million people tuned in, a record-setting audience, and they did it all virtually. They had to pivot. They basically found out two weeks before the draft that they were doing it completely virtually. Peter O'Reilly is going to join us on the show today. Really excited to talk to him. And then former NFL star, 15 years in the NFL for the Bengals, San Diego Chargers, Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles, Takeo Spikes. He is the co-host of the Behind the Mask podcast. He's doing a lot of interesting consulting for the NFL. He is a sharp business mind, another athlete who has made a seamless transition from uh, playing career to post-career. Takeo Spikes will join us on the show today. I'm joined virtually by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great and a nice NFL power pack show today. I love Peter. He always has such awesome insight and uh, perfect timing for getting him on after the virtual NFL draft. So excited for the show today. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some people who have not heard his name before, but if you understand his job and it's basically planning the biggest events in the world, like the Super Bowl and like the NFL draft, he's got a big, big, big job. And, you know, you can't say enough about what the NFL, ESPN, ABC, and the NFL Network just pulled off and all of the coordination that went into that. So uh, excited to have him on. Before we do that, a few headlines. Griggs, uh, the NBA is looking at reopening some of their practice facilities. And this is according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. I think what's happening is some of the states are reopening. And instead of having players go to the local 24-hour fitness or some gym that doesn't you know, have an NBA uh, connection, they want to open up safely but they're doing it uh, slowly and in phases. They had talked about May 1st as the target date. Now that seems like it's been pushed back to May 8th already. But Griggs, NBA, trying to get players safely working out in their own facilities. Yeah, this is the interesting part of kind of the moving forward from COVID to see how all these leagues get their players back and eventually get fans back. It's going to be a long process. And um NBA's kind of taking it on first year. So we're going to see, I know MLB's thinking about uh, starting up somewhat soon as well, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they get these leagues going, get the players back to practicing and still, you know, keeping that health and social distancing vibe going as we move forward. Also, according to The Athletic, the NBA has informed each team to assign one senior executive to the position of facility hygiene officer. 
And Griggs, I would say this will go beyond the NBA. This will be basically every organization on planet Earth going forward needs to have a facility hygiene officer. I don't care if you work in a small five-person office or if you run an NFL team or an NBA team or an airline, whatever it is, there's going to need to be a point person to run facility hygiene going forward, don't you think? Oh, I totally agree. And I, it kind of brings me back to 9-11 with all the security. You saw so many things come out of that that were new in the TSA and flying and transportation. Same kind of thing here, but it's more with health stuff. So I think you're going to see thermal screenings. You're going to see temperature taking. You're going to see all this stuff moving forward. And like you said, pretty much any business where there's people coming in and out of it is going to have to change. Well, and I've already been told, I won't name the, the businesses, but I've already been told that there are some big sports organizations uh, that are going to be launching sanitation companies as a division of their company coming out of this. So, you know, if you're a sports organization, you need your stadium or arena clean. You're going to hire these types of companies to come in and do next level cleaning before it was picking up garbage and, you know, probably, uh, washing down the seats and, and the cement and things like that. Now it's going to be next level and Griggs, the optics of this are going to be important too, because you know, there's 36% of people out there saying that they would need to wait at least a month or, or a few before coming back to uh, a game again. So people are going to want to see, like, show me that the facility has been cleansed before I come to a game or a concert or something like that again. Yeah, totally. I think you're going to see, like you said, whole... Uh, divisions of, of these major companies that are going to have a whole new working force that are just going to be deep cleaning these facilities and locations and businesses every single night or every time there's an event or before an event. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting this whole next couple of months and in the, in the next couple of years to see how this transitions. The other thing that I'm seeing happening this week is uh, universities are announcing that they're going to be open again for in-person learning starting this fall. The two universities that stand out to me Purdue University, also the University of Oregon announced that they'll be open for business in the fall. A lot to be done between now and then. Again, a lot of unknowns, but Griggs, you know, I, I've been saying for a while since it started, May 1st kind of felt like the date to me that people were either A, going to start getting restless and, and leaving their house and, and going out, or B, you know, businesses were going to be declining to such a degree that they were going to, you know, just go into self-survival mode and, and have to reopen some things again. We're starting to see that. Yeah, that's kind of, we talked about it before too, like May 1st was kind of that date where, okay, this is going to start, something's going to start happening. And sure enough, you're seeing beaches starting to open. You're seeing few businesses starting to open, restaurants starting to open more. So yeah, it's transitioning slowly and it's going to be a slow crossover, but I think uh, May is going to be a big month of transition to see where, how we can get back to quote normal. All right. And our last headline, I'm sure you like millions of other people have been watching The Last Dance on ESPN the 1990 Chicago Bulls documentary. It just gets better and better with every episode. The soundtrack, Griggs, is the best soundtrack for a documentary I've ever seen. Episode 3 averaged 6.1 million viewers. Episode 4 averaged 5.7 million viewers. But overall, through four episodes, Griggs, about 6 million people are tuning in to watch The Last Dance. And, you know, again, I'm happy that people are learning about Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, and that 1990s team and the teams that they played against. But 
it's just been fun to watch. I actually uh, had my daughter sit down and watch with me this past weekend, and you know she learned about those teams and Michael Jordan and, and things of that nature. So it's been uh, great education for all. Yeah, it's been a fun, fun event to watch. I look forward to it every Sunday night because it's just, and I'm a producer in audio and music and stuff. So it's like, it's so seamlessly put together. And like you said, the soundtrack is amazing and the, the images and the video and the clips. It's just, it's put together so well. It's just like, you can't turn it off. I just love it every Sunday night. When you're pulling old school rap, LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, Cool Mo D, I- I'm in. And, and the music that they've matched with the, the video has just been perfect. Yep, I agree. Uh, <laughs> you're right. I mean, Beastie Boys, I was just totally rocking out the other day and they started playing Beastie Boys. I was LL Cool J. You got it nailed. It was awesome. Good music. Great production for sure. All right. Coming up next, Peter O'Reilly, the executive vice president of club business and league events for the NFL. The NFL just pulled off a masterpiece of an NFL draft record audience, 55 million people. How'd they do it? Peter O'Reilly is going to tell us. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. My guest is Peter O'Reilly. He has joined us on this show many times before. He's the executive vice president of club business and league events for the NFL. He and his staff run the Super Bowl, the NFL draft, the Pro Bowl, and all major events for the NFL. You can find him on Twitter at P.L. O'Reilly. Peter, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Doing well, Brian. How you doing? Great to talk with you. Hope uh, hope you guys and your family are safe and uh, and healthy. Yeah, likewise. Uh, congratulations on what you just pulled off. I couldn't wait to have you on this week. I was thinking about you during the draft. Just amazing how you guys pivoted. At what point, Peter, did you find out, hey, we're not doing the draft in person in Las Vegas anymore. We're pivoting to a virtual draft. Yeah, so we were, we obviously, um, things evolved every day throughout this process. And I think it was March 16th that we, uh, made the announcement that we weren't going to do any public fan events in Las Vegas, um, based on the state of the pandemic. And then from there, there were a number of weeks where things, like I said, were evolving every day in terms of what were the guidelines federally and state by state. And then ultimately it was probably only about two weeks out that we firmly said, this is going to be fully virtual. This is going to be fully remote. Everybody in their homes, GMs, coaches, uh, commissioner in his basement, obviously prospects in their homes. And that was, uh, you know, it was just an incredible team of people who came together both on the league side, the club side and our partners to, uh, to make it all work in this, um, kind of wild ride over the last four and a half weeks. 
Walk us through that. What does that look like? I mean, there, you can't go into anyone's house. Everything is done virtually. I read that you're you're sending cameras and microphones and headphones to everyone's homes. How did that all work? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, our our IT team and our broadcast operations team were incredible. Of just okay, if we're not clearly, we're not sending camera people. We're not sending you know uh, people into these homes. And it was just thinking about okay, what can we do? Um, and it was, let's create kits for each of the prospects. So we had 58 prospects to whom we sent these kits where they had, you know, two phones to be that, that camera you always saw there. And then an interview camera with a little tripod and a little light kit and, uh, some Bose headphones. <laughs> and then, uh, into the, uh, you know, the GM's homes and, and the head coach's homes, you know, similar kits in there that uh, you saw come to life in some fun and, and interesting ways. And I think, for us, the key was let's get it out there. Let's test. We had ended up with, you know, more than 600 feeds coming in that could be chosen from, including the fan feeds you saw behind the commissioner. And it was okay. Let's get it out there. We think it'll work. And then let's test, test and run some mock drafts and, uh, and make sure this is going to be, uh, this is going to be sound. Did you have any of the prospects get back to you and say, I just don't know how to operate this stuff? You know, I think most of the young people are pretty tech savvy. I always joke that my 15-year-old daughter is my personal IT person. So the young people seem to understand the technology pretty well. But that's such an undertaking, sending that out to everyone and basically saying you're in charge of setting it up. Yeah, they uh, like you said, um, the the prospects are probably the most tech savvy of anyone we dealt with. So um, those guys are, are, are pretty on it and can uh, were great. Obviously, we had folks assigned to each of the prospects and could talk them through it and work it through it. But uh, you're right. I also have a 15 year old daughter and she shows me what to do. <laughs> so uh, they're the ones. Obviously, some of the uh, you know some of the broader set, including some of us, are more tech challenged and they took uh, a little bit more tutelage. But uh, everyone got there. So I've got to tell you, I've loved all of the past drafts. I've loved, you know, the thousands of people in the streets in Nashville and Philadelphia and Chicago and New York. But there was something about this that was just so charming, being able to see people in their homes. I absolutely love the personal connection with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and and – you know, how campy and cozy he kind of became as the draft went along, his wardrobe changes, the M&Ms behind him that seemed to go missing each round, uh, talking about, you know, putting in screens and doing some chores around the house. It, it was just unlike anything I've ever seen from a draft before. When you went into this, did you think it would resonate like that? Um. Not to the extent it did. I think that, you know, we were obviously so focused on let's get the core right. Let's make sure we're technically sound, avoid glitches. And for the most part, we did. Um, and the draft always is full of emotion, um, emotion in the prospects, emotion, you know, across, emotion from fans. But this, you're right, was different. It was different because it was intimate, um, because it was human. Um, and those images, those moments, um, to your point, I think you – you know, you knew you didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but you knew there would be there's always great emotion with the prospects and their families and just their nuclear family together and that tight knit group. Um, but the the areas that really um, were, were special as well were those GM and head coach homes where so different than an intense draft room, seeing their kids and their spouses and their dogs and the interaction and just the joy that they had of making picks and doing that together and connecting as a family and then. I was fortunate enough to be on a video conference for three days, uh, 
into the commissioner's basement and part of that process with him. Um, and you saw who he is, which is, you know, just nobody's more passionate about the game, about football, about the NFL, about the draft. Um, and he loves those moments of interacting with prospects, interacting with fans and having some fun, like you said, whether it was, uh, you know, pretending to eat hundreds of M&Ms and people on Twitter following, you know, his uh, M&M consumption or the Ditka bobblehead moving around the room or him just, um, you know, getting comfortable across the three days. It was, uh, it was special and it was genuine. And that, uh, that intimacy was, uh, something we, we hoped you would come, th- would come through and, uh, it, it did in spades. Two other things about the commissioner. One, he, he agreed to the boo the commish campaign with Budweiser <laughs> before. And a lot of people kind of went, wow, he agreed to that. And of course he did. And there was a charitable component involved. And we'll get to that in a minute. But then the other thing is he TikToked. I never thought I would see Commissioner Goodell do a TikTok video. And he did a video <laughs> with one of the draftees. And again, you know, I've seen because I've been to some Super Bowls and some events where he's been at, I've seen the other side of Roger Goodell. But I felt like this was one of the first times that we really saw the other side of him in public and on camera. And and I just loved it. Yeah, it was, uh, again, that's who he is. He, uh, he embraces the booze. He always does. That's a tradition. And he was completely game for that. That was, uh, you know, certainly great what Bud Light did and tied to the draftathon, but he embraced it throughout and he, he understands it's a tradition that, uh, that fans love. So he was, uh, he was good with that. And I think to your point, it was all of those, uh, all of those little moments that, uh, what was the other point you made, Brian? That, uh, oh, the TikTok. Oh, the TikTok. Yeah, of course. He, you know, Jerry Judy, you know, <laughs> he always does these, uh, he meets the prospects if they're on site um, the day or two before. And you've seen some of these, they come up with the prospect says, you know, I got a tricky handshake. I want you to try. And they try to figure it out beforehand. So this was the virtual form of that. And when, when, uh, when Jerry reached out and said, I got a TikTok and, uh, and challenge the commissioner, you know, uh, fortunately he also has, um, two daughters who could help him work through that. So, uh, he did, he did well and he was completely game. And that's the, those are the fun moments that, uh, that, that he loves and, uh, he's game for it. 580 million views of TikTok during the NFL draft, uh, according to, uh, the NFL and, and other reports out there. So that's amazing too. Uh, you talked a little bit, I, I had, uh, Al Guido from the Niners on a few weeks ago. And, you know, I know you guys did a mock draft, but then you had the GMs and, you know, everyone drafting from home that went flawlessly too. I know there were some people going into this that, you know, were a little concerned about a number of different things, but coming out of it, the quotes I read from GMs were, this was the most special draft because I could do this with my family. I did this with my, you know, in my home. It just had a different feel to it again. It did. It was, uh, I, I think that you, you are, we're hearing that I'm hearing the commissioner's hearing from, um, GMs and coaches and, and obviously everyone, this was different and there was some anxiety around that and would it work Would the technology work. And I think at the end of the day, everyone embraced the fact that this was the only way to do it, both from a health perspective and a role modeling behavior perspective. Um, and they appreciated that. And then on top of it, the ability to have, kids and family members around and dogs around coach Belichick's dog Nike is now, uh, you know, a, a very well-known dog, no um, kidding. But, th- but those, those moments 
um, are special. And, you know, we'll see what, what we carry on moving forward. But I think that there's something to that intimacy and it was able to be done efficiently, which was the most important thing. We know how important those three days are for GMs and coaches and clubs. And that was number one. Uh, in terms of importance, and we were glad to to do right by that. Yeah, and your biggest audience ever, 55 million people watched the NFL draft. That's just, it's unbelievable. I, I was pointing out, you know, the last dance with Michael Jordan has gotten great audiences every night, about 6.1 to 6.3 million people. They have a third of the audience of, of what you guys had. Um, it just shows how big the NFL is. How do you decide, Peter, and, and I know it's so early and this is all so fresh, but how do you decide here are some things that were really special about this virtual draft and here's what we could carry forward to future drafts when I'm assuming we'll be back in person? Um, yeah, absolutely. And just a huge thank you to our fans who came out and were part of the draft or part of the draft on live stream. And I do want to shout out to my friends at NBA and NBA Entertainment for the last dance. I was over there, uh, working there in 97 and 98 and, and know what went into that. Uh, it's such an incredible thing and it's been fun as a fan to watch that one. It's been amazing. Um, but just as you look at, uh, as you look at the draft moving forward, you think about, um, you know, we'll be headed to Cleveland next year. We're excited. No, you know, no more passionate fans than Cleveland Brown fans in that city. Uh, and I think we're in the, in the time now, just a couple of days out from the draft of starting to think about what can you bring forward to Cleveland? Obviously, we hope we're in a situation and, and likely will be where we can bring fans back together and prospects in the green room. But that intimacy we saw of the ability to reach more prospects and connect into more prospects, families, homes and have the commissioner connect with more prospects and create those type of moments that maybe we wouldn't have if we hadn't gone through this draft. So this 2020 virtual draft will forever change. I think the way we think about and our network partners produce drafts and, unclear today what all of those implications will be and changes will be, but I know there will be um, significant ones because we know what resonated and, and we'll continue to try to bring that to life. So your network partners, ESPN, ABC, the NFL network on this draft, they did an incredible job too. And they were all over the place. Um, and you know, it just, it again, came across seamlessly and they made it look so easy. And we all know if we work in the business, it, it's not that easy as it looked, but working with them, what was the prep like? So we've talked about the prep with the prospects, the prep with the coaches and the GMs, but really to showcase this, there had to have been a ton of conversations with ESPN, ABC and NFL network. Yeah. Lots of, lots of great partnership there and collaboration and the team at ESPN led by Seth Markman and, and the whole team over there working with the NFL network team, Mark Quinzel and Ani Bose on our side, who runs our, our broadcast relationships coming together and just thinking about, obviously there was the standalone ABC broadcast and then the NFL network and ESPN came together to produce the single broadcast uh, on those networks and sharing talent and thinking about, how do we, again, strike the right tone and the right balance? And I give a lot of credit to all of those people I just mentioned um, on the ESPN and NFL Network side and ABC side of, of striking that right balance. Obviously, fans um, wanted the escape and wanted to, to just dive into the draft and their team's moves and successes, but do it in a way where we pay tribute to those who are the real heroes, the first responders, the the healthcare workers, the everyday people who are making our lives work these days. Um, 
And I think they did that in a really, in a really powerful way while also doing a lot of good and, and supporting the draft-a-thon and the, the significant funds we were able to raise for those who need it most. So ESPN was, was an incredible partner, um, and ABC throughout this and, um, that collaboration between them and NFL Network was really special and will, um, only strengthen that, uh, that relationship and collaboration moving forward. Some of the talent was social distanced in studios, but most people were broadcasting from their homes as we're seeing, you know, with pretty much every network right now. It's amazing to me how clear and, and how good the picture is from people's homes. Did you think, I mean, again, three months ago, you probably weren't thinking about any of this, but did you think it would be as seamless and, and look as good from people's homes as they're, you know, broadcasting basically from their living room? Um, I, I, it was, it was cleaner, um, than I think any of us thought anyone on the ESPN side or NFL network side. Those connections were good. I think we went into it saying we're in a bit of a forgiving time where we know there are going to be some glitches or some frozen screens or things like that. Um, and we were fortunate to really avoid those. So it was, uh, it's a, a testament to the technology and the partners we have. And, you know, we've got some great ones who brought technology to the table for this Verizon and Microsoft and AWS and Bose who are all, you know, we got best in class partners who said, how can we help? And they jumped in right away and helped. And that was, uh, that's a huge factor, but it, it definitely exceeded our expectations because we figured there would be a few more glitches, which people would forgive. The NFL raised a hundred million dollars for charity during the NFL draft. Once again, kind of showing like the NFL can mobilize people like no one else. And, and you know, that money is going to go to some, some great causes. So that's kind of the underlying message of the draft is yes, you went ahead with it, but you raised a hundred million dollars for charity in the process. We did. That was a, a hugely important element of our objective here. And it was about knowing that so many people are in a tough situation right now. And a lot of people aren't in a position to give, um, but that every dollar helped. Um, and, and those who could give supported. And we partnered, as you said, with six really, um, really significant national nonprofits who are right on the front lines of this, like the American Red Cross, the CDC Foundation, Feeding America, Meals on Wheels, Salvation Army, um, and the United Way. And those those partners have been incredible just making sure that those funds, that $100 million, gets to the people who need it most. So, so appreciative of fans, so appreciative of the broader NFL family. Obviously, tons of owners and players and executives and coaches and GMs stepped up to support that Um at this at this time of need, and that's incredibly appreciated. All right, we've talked about everyone, but where were you during the draft? I know that you, know, you said that you had a, a clean feed into Commissioner Goodell's basement. You, I'm assuming you were at home, but did you have like Command Central set up in your home office? What was your setup like? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, we live just north of New York City, and I was uh, in my my wife um, has her own business and works from home, so I commandeered her office <laughs> in our house and uh, set up a few extra monitors and had the you know TV and a couple of phones and my laptop. And uh, again, our tech team and our broadcast ops team, ops team was fortunate to get me and a number of us feeds, so I was able to look at the feeds of every prospects. 
uh, home, the feeds of every GM and head coach's home. So kind of a live look in at all of those, um, as well as communicate with uh, kind of have a, com- a communications panel where we could talk to everybody and hear all the picks and everything happening. And then, um, like I said before, I was a few of us were on a video conference uh, into the commissioner's basement where he could come over and talk to us and we could talk through things uh, throughout the three days. So that was the setup. We just kind of took over my, uh, my wife's, uh, little office here and, uh, turned it into, uh, draft central in, in some ways. I'm the type of person I need to be like in person with people. And obviously that wasn't possible here. So it must've driven you crazy to be remote with all these different people, but you know, you have to talk them through things versus being there in person in case anything goes wrong. Yeah, it was, it was certainly different, but it, uh, I mean, the technology is so good where you can just, you see people and you, you spend a lot. I mean, we just spent so much time, um, talking to each other in little boxes. Um, but it was, it, it, it worked. <laughs> it worked and, um, everyone got comfortable with it and everyone, uh, you know, everyone had some fun with it. So, um, yeah, I love, you know, we're, we're on the road so much. So many of us, I know you are and you just, you know, it was it was different and maybe we'll learn something from this and the ability to to limit travel, more time with family and, and be able to still accomplish a lot of things. You have run the biggest events in the world and you've been doing this for a long time. This has got to be the biggest pivot of your career, would you say? Um, it was a big one. And, the you know, I give all of the credit to the broader team here um, who who pivoted and just was so creative and resourceful in getting things done. Um, but it just was a really proud moment for all of us and really appreciative. And we know, we know the drafts place in the broader world. We, you know, there's a lot more important things out there. Um, but the fact that we were able to do something that brought some hope, brought some escape and, and raised significant money, um, is a really powerful thing that, that none of us will, uh, will really ever forget. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a special one, Brian. Were there any other highlights for you before I let you go? I know we've talked about a lot, you know, again, Nike, the dog stands out to me, Roger Goodell in his basement. I, I love the interaction with the fans on zoom and how, you know, when a team was drafting, you could see, you know, what was it? 18 different zoom screens on the screen at once. And, they were all getting excited about their draft pick. I thought that was really neat too. No, that was great. And it was a uh, shout out to our, fa- our partner, the famous group who brought that together. It wasn't actually zoom. It was through their, their Bixie platform that they have there. And it was really, really powerful. When you talk about moments, um, a couple stand out to me. You may have seen, um, we, we pushed this out on social the other day, but towards the end of Saturday when things were winding down, um, the commissioner called a doctor from Baltimore um, who has been on the front lines and, and, uh, and helping patients down in Baltimore. He had submitted a video uh, with his attempt to get into the Ravens inner circle, that, that wall video behind the commissioner. Right. Um, and it was a great video. He talked about how he wears his Ravens logo on his scrubs every day and connects with, with prospects through that Ravens logo. And he, uh, the commissioner, he had been in the Ravens inner circle on Thursday night. The commissioner called him and it was a great genuine moment. If you haven't seen the video where he was kind of like, who's this? Who's FaceTiming me? And was almost a little uh, frustrated. And he realized it was Roger. And then uh, Roger obviously thanked him for his, uh, his commitment and all he's doing. And then we surprised him with Super Bowl tickets. And um, it was just those moments were special. A couple others that come to mind, Brian, 
that, that not everyone necessarily saw. We were doing, as, as you saw, some of the commissioner was FaceTiming with the prospects after they were picked. And on a Friday night, we layered in another idea where um, after a prospect was picked, a lot of times we would have a current player or a legend from that team join the FaceTime and surprise the player. So there were some really cool moments. Uh, AJ Epinesa was picked by the Bills on night two. He was on FaceTime with the commissioner. And Bruce Smith, the great Bill Hall of Famer, popped on the FaceTime and started mentoring their two defensive linemen and started saying, I'm, you know, anything you need and I'll be there for you. Same thing with Justin Jefferson, the receiver picked by the Vikings. Kirk Cousins, his new quarterback, popped on there um, and started, uh, you know, introduced and surprised him. So some really, some really powerful moments. And then I think the piece that I'm most, you know, one of the pieces I'm most proud of, which our team credit to Tim Tobito on our team and our friends at Van Wagner cut this piece um, was the Leslie Odom Jr. piece that closed out the draft, um, you know, which was uh, him singing We'll Never Walk Alone and the images of that. And I think all of us, after three long days, just sitting there watching that, that was kind of a cathartic moment for a lot of us and, uh, and a powerful one. Yeah, it was all so well done. I, I did see uh, Roger Goodell and, and the doctor from Baltimore. And I got to tell you, I got I got a tear in my eye. When that happened, it was just really a poignant moment. And, you know, you could tell how passionate of a Ravens fan that doctor was and, and how sincere Commissioner Goodell's thanks was to the doctor for being on the front lines and, and everything that he's doing. Um, last question for you. There are a lot of people who work in sports who listen to this show, a lot of people who run events, and everyone's looking for answers right now. And you know, I'm not going to say that you have the the crystal ball with all the answers, but you just pulled off something that has given people a lot of hope and that a lot of people didn't think could be done. What do you say to like people who work in sports or who are planning events in the future? What do you do going forward here? I know that's a broad question, but you know, you did such a great job with like talking to your team, talking to your partners and, and executing this flawlessly. Yeah, I don't, there's no, there's no silver bullet there, Brian, but I do think that it comes down to, um, being really clear on what you're trying to achieve. And, and we were fortunate in the draft. It's not a game, you know, we could do it. It, uh, we could pull it off, but we were very clear of, okay, what are the core objectives of the draft? Can we do this safely? Can we do it efficiently? Can we do it with competitive equity? Can we do right by the prospects? Can we right, do right by the fans and provide an escape? Can we set the right tone and thank those who are the real heroes and can we raise money? Those were the five objectives. We laid them out. Um, and throughout the process, when we were deciding on moving forward and doing this, you keep coming back to those. Can we do those right? Um, and if you can do that in a genuine way um, that feels right and is, is authentic, um, you know, and a lot of times there are obstacles that don't allow you to do that, but we were able to do it. And you tap into all of the amazing technologies that's out there. Um, and you just bring people together, which is, uh, you know, there's so many great people in this industry doing incredible things, um, during this time. And I'm, I'm in awe of them as I watch them. Um, but that was our approach, just clarity of objectives and clarity of mission. And then let's, uh, let's all align behind it and, and get it done. Well, I'll tell you this, you did it so well that I think there are some that want this to be the draft format going forward. <laughs> it's a good problem to have that you're going to be, you know, hopefully bringing people together in person. But if this were the format going forward, I think there's a lot of people, 55 million of them, that would be just fine with it. Peter O'Reilly, the executive vice president 
club business and league events for the NFL. He runs the Super Bowl. He just ran the NFL draft, the Pro Bowl, all major events for the NFL. Follow him on Twitter at PL O'Reilly. Peter, just I'm in awe of, of what you guys just did. Congratulations. You are the best at what you do, and I appreciate you joining me this week. Thanks. It's an awesome team, and Brian, thanks for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my mizzen and main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also makes super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com, use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenAndMain.com, code SBR. My guest is Takeo Spikes. He starred at Auburn. He had a 15-year NFL career, played for the Cincinnati Bengals, San Diego Chargers, Buffalo Bills, and Philadelphia Eagles, two-time Pro Bowl and All-Pro selection. He's also the co-host of the Behind the Mask podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Takeo Spikes 51. You can find the podcast on Twitter at the BTM podcast. Takeo, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I am doing well, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking some time. I want to start with a little bit of talk about the NFL draft. So you were drafted by the Bengals in 1998. They had the number one pick in the draft. They took Joe Burrow from LSU. Since you've got some experience playing in Cincinnati, you were also a first-round pick. What kind of environment is Joe Burrow stepping into? Well, when I look back at 1998, when I walked into the locker room, the environment, the culture was horrible. It was bad. I remember walking in and the first day, you know, what's important for me is being able to leave a lasting impression to get your teammates to respect you. That doesn't mean kissing up to anybody, but, you know, do what's expected of you and do it at a high level. And I remember some of the vets came in on the first day and was like, look here, we don't care about where you come from. We don't care about what pick you were. The only thing we care about is you do exactly what we want you to do. So tomorrow going forward, every morning we need for you to bring us breakfast. And so I was like, why you want me to bring you breakfast? So I did it anyway. And I didn't understand until the next day when I brought the breakfast and everybody was just like chomping at the bit. And so to answer your question, it goes back to they did not have a standard. You would think a billion-dollar or multi-million-dollar business would provide breakfast for their players, but they didn't. Hmm. And so now when you look at the evolution of Joe Burrows, where Marvin Lewis, how he's taken that franchise to be a respectable franchise, they fell off the last year before he left. Zach Taylor, new head coach, is there now up under his regime. I think the expectations are going to be set high. I think it's a better situation. This is one thing that I think Cincinnati 
they don't get enough credit for it. I think they do a wonderful job in the draft, how they go about and they pick guys overall. Even when I came out, they we had great guys, but the problem is they don't have the coaching staff or the structure in place to develop guys. And that's what Marvin Lewis did so well. So with so having Joe Burrows being picked the number one pick, I fully anticipate knowing that you have a head coach who wanted you and he got you. These guys will be tied at the hip together with success. How hard is it to learn the playbook? I've been reading that Joe Burrow already got the playbook from the Bengals. He's a quick study. Uh, you know, you played for a few different teams. When you get that playbook, is it overwhelming? Is, and I know it depends on the coach, but I've never been an NFL player. I've never seen an NFL playbook. How hard is it to learn? Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. I can't sit up here and tell you, Brian, I guess it's easy because this is the thing. If, 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 if you, I'm pretty sure you played electronic battleship growing up. I did. Or even if, so like if stationary. And so when you know where certain moves are and you can't just illegally move, you know what to anticipate. The thing about football is that playbook is, is damn near two to 300 pages long. Easily. Wow. And the problem is once you line up on the football field and you say, okay, this is the look that I'm getting. But the problem is, is when you get motion now as a defensive player, you have to remember everybody jobs changes as an offensive player, even as a quarterback with Joe Burrows, he has to understand when I get to the line of scrimmage, I, okay, I remember going over this because this is day one. But when the defense gives him motion or decides to bring a safety down, it totally changes everything what they do. So now he will have to be able to learn how to not only anticipate what's going to happen, but make sure he puts his offense in the right position to be able to win with with play calling. And so that's what makes it so hard because it's always changing. Every day is changing every day and you have to stay up on it and and have the awareness to be able to anticipate what's going to change. One of the most impressive things about your career is you were team captain for 13 of your 15 seasons. That says a lot about you. What are the traits that make for a good leader? Because, again, Joe Burrow, number one pick, kind of the face of the franchise now. They've got billboards in Cincinnati. He's going to be asked to be the leader of that team. You were a leader of all the teams you played on. What are the traits of a good leader? Uh, the, the traits are, you know, I, I say this is so cliche. This is what you should be doing. Come early, staying late. Like, period. Because hmm. there's so much information that you just have to, you got to be able to not only ingest, but digest. Uh, number two, another trait is, Understanding that even though I am the number one pick or even though I am who I am, every day you have to make a deposit into your guys. What does that mean? You have to consult with them. You have to talk to them. And every conversation cannot be about football because what makes Brian Berger ticked is not the same thing that makes Takeo Spikes tick. And so you have to know how to construct your conversation in order to get the most out of every guy. And you have to understand if he's falling short, maybe I can jump this guy, but I can't talk to this guy the same way. And then I think another thing what's important too with the team building process 
is bringing guys together and allowing them to be vulnerable. Whether or not if that means that's the reason why when we look at hard knocks and you see the rookies singing songs, you see the rookies, you know, dancing or, or dressing up and getting haircuts. That's that's a vulnerability part, meaning, okay, I'll open myself up. I'm gonna let y'all laugh at me just so that you know you see a deeper side of who you are. And I think that gives permission for guys to say, you know what, I'm not afraid to have a tough conversation with you. And you cannot, you shouldn't be afraid to have a tough conversation with me, even though it may feel uncomfortable, but you know, I'm coming from a good position because we're up under the same roof and we got to do what it takes to be able to win football games. So that's just some of the attributes that I see as far as leadership, being able to talk to your teammates and more than anything, I, I think it goes back to what Bobby Bowden said to me when I was a youngster. We was, he was talking about platforms. Bobby Bowden said, Hey, in order to be able to use your platform, you have to maintain your platform. And that means when you're out there on the football field playing, you have to produce. I am not, I'm not listening to anybody just because you're a locker room lawyer. You have to go out there and be able to make plays, make plays in crunch time situations and show your accountability by your dependability. That's good stuff. I want to focus more on your career for a minute. At what point during your career, or maybe it was after your career, did you start thinking about post-career? I interview a lot of athletes on this show, and sometimes they, they start thinking about it early. Others don't think about it till later in their career, and some don't think about it till after their career. At what point did you start thinking about, here's what I want to do post-career? Well, it it's very first time I ever had anybody ask me that question in that matter. So I wanted to know more because I felt like I was a part of the biggest business model in the world. And I wanted to know how it ticked. I knew how I could pick up, pick up my paycheck, but I wanted to know how they really make their money. So I became part of the players association union. And then I, became a player's rep team leader. So for every team, I was the player rep. And so, you know, what that really showed me was all of the little nuances, all of the little things that they offer in order to help you transition out of the game. I attribute a lot of my successes taking executive education classes in the summertime at Wharton. I accredited a lot of my business savvy is taking classes, going to Harvard, taking classes, going to Stanford, all of this in the summertime. And I left early as a junior. So when I retired, I was always searching for more knowledge, you know, because I I hate depending on people. I don't mind relying on you, but I don't want to depend on somebody because I feel like that's when you're setting yourself up to get abused. And so From me taking those classes, I went back to school, got my undergrad from Auburn. Then I went back to school and got my MBA from the University of Miami, the U. And so from that, that really opened my mind up and helped me out for the transition. So it really just started taking advantage of a lot of the programs that the NFL offered. And from that point, I was always, I'm always searching. When I wake up in the morning, I'm looking for a challenge, a good challenge that's going to stimulate me because 
I, this that's just the way that I'm wired. No, I like it. And and I can tell, you know, now we're going to talk about your Behind the Mask podcast, uh, which I think you do a great job with. Like you said, you've had Bengals head coach Zach Taylor on. I love the interview with uh, former NFL running back Clinton Portis. You're really good at, at interviewing people. What's your prep for the interview? And how did you come up with the concept for the Behind the Mask podcast? Well, I, I came up with the concept of Behind the Mask Behind the Mask podcast, it, it simply started from when I was in, I've been doing media. I go to London every year and I do the broadcast for all of the games, the NFL games. So it basically started for me when I was about to retire. I wanted to write a book and I wrote that book. It was a photography, it was a photography based coffee table book and it was titled Behind the Mask. Version one is dedicated to linebackers and I'm proud of, I was proud because I wanted to do something that would be part of my legacy. And I wanted something that should be in every home, not necessarily for football fans. I knew, but, um, I wanted to put something together of great content and a great library and a great piece to be seen on people's, um, bookshelves or whether or not their coffee book display. So that's where it started. And then. From me having the media training, going into the Behind the Mask podcast, I was like, you know what? Instead of going to ESPN, instead of going over here to NBC, which I've done work with all of those, work for NBC, I was like, let me just do something, just just go ahead and to enhance my own brand. And so that's when I decided to come out with the podcast and just leverage all of the people who I knew. I heard people tell me all the time, Spikes, you know everybody. And I was like, I know some people. But the more I got into it, I was like, man, you're really just one phone call away. And so that's the reason why, because in my book, I I shared intimate stories of like trials and tribulations. But with the podcast, it goes to another level because not only are we're talking about intimate stories, but we're talking about untold stories uh, from from guys who – that you never thought that they would open up and be vulnerable. That there goes that word again. And it usually follows leadership. And it really just gave people an opportunity and a platform to tell their story or to be the author of their own autobiography. And so that's what makes the behind the podcast, behind the mass podcast so good and, and, and so inviting for me is because I'm creating a platform, leveraging all of the people who I know giving them an opportunity to tell the story the way it needs to be told. Well, like you said, the thing I like about it is it's not just football. It's fatherhood. It's business. It's social issues. And like you said, those untold stories that they're going to talk to you about because you have a relationship with them versus you know them sitting down with someone else. Again, find the Behind the Mask podcast on iTunes, and you can follow them on Twitter at the BTM podcast. Takio, what else are you doing business-wise? I know you do the podcast. I know you did the book. Uh, what else are you doing business-wise? Uh, business-wise, I, I, I do a lot of consulting. And a lot of the consulting that I do is I do some with uh, the NFL helping guides with the transition. And I feel like I'm a poster boy for it just because I took advantage of everything that they offered. And if I had time to do everything, I would have. But I took advantage of the things that really helped get me to the next level. I talked about the executive education classes. 
those really sparked my interest as far as business. And so now what I do is um, one of the things that I'm most proud of is Dr. Uh, me partnering with Dr. David Rice. We came together and he's a professor at Morehouse. And we came together two years ago and developed the workshop, which is called um, Advocacy in Sport. And it really just brought different athletes track, um, baseball, uh, football, basketball. It brought all sports together. And it just brought people in and just teaching them and showing them effective ways of how to be an advocate for whatever you want to be, whatever you want to advocate for. And there's different ways of being able to do it. And I know a lot of people look at it like, oh, okay, is this protesting? Well, no, it's not just protesting, but people can be an advocate for just the weather climate. People can be an advocate for dogs. People can be an advocate for all animals. And so it really was just showing different techniques of how to use lateral power, which are your relationships, bring them together. And now when you go out and strike and be able to present, now you have more leveraging power. That's one of the things that I'm do, that I do and it keeps me busy. Another one that I'm, I'm most proud of is, is being able to, um, get together with former teammates, myself and myself, London Fletcher, Angelo Crowell. We created our private equity group, which is called the fifth quarter investments. And what we do is we specialize in commercial retail, uh, multi-tenant. Angelo Crowell, he, he owns numerous Jersey Mike's. He's a franchisee. And so what we started out doing, and, and it, this was small, we started this out maybe seven, eight years ago, and he wanted to, you know, extend extend this brand. He wanted to expand. And so he brought a position to us to where, look, guys, this is what I'm thinking. Would you be interested in not only investing, but looking at taking this model and taking it on the road and putting it in different areas? And so that's what we did. So we'll go around. We buy 35 to 5,000 square feet, multi-tenant retail. Jersey Mike's is, is one of the, the tenants. And then we find two other tenants to come in. And depending on what the market is showing us, what's the long-term goals that we may have or may not have, that will determine on what we would do, whether or not if it's keeping the property or keeping it for a few years, selling it, or just keeping it as a longevity piece to where, you know what, my, my daughter can be able to eat off of this later. So now I have something in place that she'll be able to take advantage of. So that's been fun working with guys who you know and you trust. And then I think the last thing is just looking at with the behind the mask movement. It started out as a book, but I've now created an entity for the behind the mask media, which an extension of it is the podcast. An extension of it is the books. An extension of it is the photography. And so ultimately what I'm working on creating now is documentaries is sharing stories from these athletes, untold stories that really change their life around. And so that's, you know, from a business perspective, that's what's keeping me going. That's what I, 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 I must admit, I go to bed thinking about it at night. It's the last thing on my mind. And it's the first thing on my mind when I wake up, it definitely was a passion for me, but it's purpose driven because I feel like 
I think about this quote all the time. I do a lot of reading and I think about Maya Angelou and the quote that sticks off in my head is there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. And so that's the reason why I, at night before I go to bed, it's the last thing I think about. Or when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that I think about because I, I can't sleep with the agony inside of me. So I have to do work, be constructive to be able to create or continue to create platforms that my fellow brethren and sisters can go out and be able to share their story, not only to motivate, but to inspire, to create change. Takia Spikes, former NFL star, two-time pro bowler and all-pro selection, co-host of the Behind the Mask podcast. Find it on iTunes. You can also follow Takia on Twitter at Spikes 51 And again, follow the BTM podcast on Twitter at the BTM podcast. Takia, I'm so glad we had a chance to catch up. I love what you're doing. Let's stay in touch, and please let me know if I can ever assist. And uh, I can't wait to hear those stories that you're going to tell. Brian, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share some of the stories that are that are going to be about the story. So thank you. I appreciate that. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Open Doors helps athletes share content on social. Founded in 2012 by two former Nebraska football players, Open Doors has become the world's leading athlete marketing platform. More than 6,000 athletes around the world use Open Doors to receive content from partners and publish to their personal social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all with one click. Open Doors makes it easier than ever before for brands, including sponsors and licensees and properties, to push approved content through the player's social channels. Leading sports organizations like the PGA Tour, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, the LPGA, and dozens of professional and collegiate sports teams use the platform to send video highlights, photos, GIFs, and more to athletes. The publishing process is very easy and convenient. Once registered, athletes receive a text message when their team, league, or brand partner has content for them to share on social media. The athlete simply reviews the content and hits approve. Open Doors does the rest. If you're an athlete, start using Open Doors as a tool today to build your personal brand and maximize your value on social media. If you're a brand trying to connect with athletes who you thought you'd never be able to gain access to on your own, Open Doors is your solution. Open Doors makes athletes more accessible to the people who support them. Visit opendoors.com or follow them on social media at opendoors. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.